SEJ Summit 2016 is coming to Santa Monica, Chicago, and New York City. With a focus on actionable marketing for SEOs by SEOs, SEJ Summit is a can't miss event. Get $50 off your ticket now by using the code SEJNerd. Learn more at searchenginejournal.com slash SEJ Summit 2016. We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world. All we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my mom? Digital pen hard at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Marketing Nerds. My name is Kelsey Jones. I'm the executive editor at Search Engine Journal, and I'm so excited to be joined here today by Sally Hogshead. She is the New York Times bestselling author of Fascinate, How to Make Your Brand Impossible to Resist, with which just the revised version just came out the last week of April. So Sally, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Kelsey, I'm excited to be here. And I have to tell you, I'm a marketing nerd too. So this is going to be a perfect fit. Good. Well, before we get into, you know, the meat of the podcast, do you just kind of want to give a brief overview as to what, you know, you mean by the term fascinate? Sure. Uh, about 10 years ago, I found an old journal in the library back when <laughs> back when people actually went into things called libraries and <laughs> pulled books off the shelf. And it, it, the sentence changed my life. The sentence said, the word fascinate is one of the oldest in written language, and it comes from ancient Latin, fascinare, which means to bewitch or hold captive so your listener is powerless to resist. And I thought to myself, that is so cool and dark. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember I, I looked up and I kind of like stared off into the air and I thought, you know, I've never thought about that, that, that fascination is different than getting attention or being interested. Yeah. And so I looked more deeply into it and I found that neurologically fascination is a state of the most intense focus. And that when your brain's in a state of fascination, you're you, you, neurologically on an MRI, it looks like you're falling in love. You, hmm. your, your barriers drop. You stop being skeptical. You start wanting to connect. You start being more open to it. And I thought, you know, from a marketing perspective, this is a really interesting distinction because when we're paying attention to something, which of course, whether, you know, whether, whether we're writing content that people want to read or, or we're fascinating the Google algorithm to make sure we get attention in our, in our, in our search, um, the fascination is qualitatively different. And so in my research, I found that throughout time, Mesopotamia and Constantinople and the European Renaissance, this concept of fascination was almost like witchcraft. It was a form of black magic that people would perform um, in order to make sure that their their listener was hypnotized. Now, of course, we know today there's no such thing as witches and you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe black magic, maybe not. But um, as I over the course of the last ten years, I've been looking at the science behind this and looking at it from a marketing perspective, and I've measured almost a million people to find what makes a brand or idea or a message. Fascinating. So when we're talking about it today, I, I, I want to come back to that definition that I described at the beginning, that fascination is the brain's most intense state of focus. And that when you fascinate somebody, you are bewitching them, you're hypnotizing them, you're spellbinding them. So they're, mm -hmm. so it's impossible to resist. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a different feeling 
as opposed to just liking what a brand's talking about. I mean, whenever someone or a brand is fascinating, you think about it a lot more. It's top of mind a lot more. You feel more of a connection. Um, so I definitely agree that, you know, the feeling of being fascinated is a lot different than just liking something or even being interested in something. Yeah, check this out. So we did a national study in which we were measuring what is the ROI of fascination. In other words, how much does it actually add to a brand's value if the brand is fascinating? And we found that fascinating brands can charge up to 400% more for the exact same product as an unfascinating brand. In other words, say you're selling a commodity, you're selling bottled water or salt or Um, search engine content. If what you're selling could be compared very closely to other people in your category, then you have to compete on the basis of price. And that's a, that's a, that's a really tough position to be in. But if you can find a way to make your brand fascinating, in other words, to hook people's attention so that um, they, they, they can't stop thinking about you or talking about you or, or following you or posting about you, then you have a massive competitive advantage in a crowded marketplace. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's just those certain brands that you just always remember. And so I know that it's that little something special that hooks people versus everyone else who's trying to compete in the space. And that's a great that's a great example of of how to be fascinating. We, we've talked about why to be fascinating and what it means to be fascinated. But one of the key things for people to remember, especially when they're developing content or they're they're writing about a brand or for a brand or they're doing any kind of marketing, and the key is this: different is better than better. Hmm. We focus so much on trying to be better, but the reality is, it doesn't matter if you're the best if nobody notices or cares. It doesn't matter if I'm an author and I write the best book if nobody reads it. Yep. It doesn't matter if an auto manufacturer manufactures the best cars if nobody buys them. And so this is a this is a key for us in marketing. It doesn't matter if you have the best idea if nobody pays attention. And the problem is that as the world becomes more distracted and more competitive and more commoditized, it's very hard to be better. It's very expensive. It takes a huge amount of effort to be better than your competition. And even when you even when you put yourself in relation to your competition, you're still following their game. So what I discovered over the course of this decade was that the the brands that are most successful are those that are different and that different is the greatest competitive advantage that you can have. So when I was writing Fascinate and um, and and getting this getting this book ready for publication, I drew upon my background as a copywriter. I was a, an advertising creative director for brands like Mini Cooper and IKEA and Coca Cola and Target and Nike, and I I deconstructed the system that I used in order to come up with fascinating ideas for clients like that, and I. Um, and I list it out in a really clear step-by-step format. It's almost like a brand hack, you know, a, like a growth hack or a life hack. This is a, a branding hack. And, um, and so it's one that, that anybody, and no matter what type of business you have or what type of other brands you're marketing, that people can apply really easily. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of what you and I had talked about before we started recording um, you know, so before last year, I had heard about you when you were going to speak at the Copy Blogger Conference in Denver, Authority Rainmaker, and I ended up not being able to go. But a bunch of us on the search engine team took your personality test, um, the fashion, yeah, fascination advantage, yeah. yeah. And so um, I was avant garde, and so I'm a forward thinking and enterprising leader. And so the report's super interesting because it talks about, you know 
what my values are, what my good things are. You know, I like new ideas. I get bored when things are the same. And so that's kind of for individuals. But you were just telling me before we were recording that now you have a test for brands. I do. I do. We measured almost a million people with the fascination advantage. And that's about personal brands. In other words, Mm -hmm. Kelsey, you as an individual, how do other people see you at your best? But my background was always in branding. I shifted from from helping brands being fascinating to to measuring individuals. And I and my publisher came back to me after my last book was a New York Times bestseller and they said, "You know, what if we what if we created a more brand specific version of your original book, the the first book that I published back in 2010." And um and so as as part of that process of measuring what makes brands fascinating, we created an assessment that's like Fascination Advantage, but specifically for your business or your product. And um, and the cool thing is right now it's free. And the, um, the, the, the assessment is at brandfascination.com, uh, brandfascination.com. So it ride, the assessment is 28 questions. It takes about three minutes. But I'm this. I built the assessment on the same methodology that a brand would use to understand how consumers or customers or clients see that brand, um, almost like a focus group. So measuring the cues that brands put out in all of their communication, all of their ads and their messages, and um, and and then creating a profile that describes how people are most likely to see your brand at its most irresistible. Yeah, I can't wait to take it because I know the one about my personal branding and was super accurate. And so I'm excited to take this for search engine journal and see what it says. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and so it, it, your personal brand is how other people see you as an individual, but, a, but a company brand, you know, well, l- l- let me get on my soapbox just for a moment, a, a brief okay. little rant <laughs> for you. <laughs> when, when I, um, in advertising, one of the things that always kind of frustrated me and, and, and baffled me was that you only have two choices, really. You can either hire an ad agency or um, a, a marketing consultant to do your marketing. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're spending a lot of money, but you'll probably get a good result. Or you can be doing it yourself and you'll be frustrated and you may even damage your brand and not get a good result, but it's free. But if you look at every other category out there, every every other category is is democratized. I don't have to call a travel agent in order to book a flight. I don't have to I don't have to go to my pediatrician to diagnose food poisoning. I can just go online and look. And so I decided that I wanted to do democratic branding, sort of sort of a hack, you know, back to the the concept of um, giving giving people a shortcut so they can apply world class branding principles, but without having to hire an agency to come up with them with the strategic plan. Yeah, I like that because you know a lot of small businesses just don't have the resources, which was something I wanted to ask you about because some yeah. of our audience, you know, are business owners that are just trying to learn marketing, and and some of them want to do it all on their own. Some just want to be more educated, you know, when they are dealing with agencies. They want to know what the jargon is, what what best practices are. Um, so when it comes to branding, you know, usually these small businesses have a tiny budget. So, you know, what are some things that businesses can do in order to increase their, you know, overall brand presence and bring in that concept of being fascinating without having a huge budget? I love that question because the reality is you have a choice. Every business have a, has a choice. You can either have the biggest budget 
or you can be the most fascinating. If you have the biggest budget, you can afford just to pound a message into your consumer's brain over and over and over again. But if you don't have the biggest budget, then you must be the most fascinating. So the process that I developed uh, um, for brands to discover what makes them fascinating and how to apply it goes like this. Step one, do brandfascination.com assessment. Then step two, Take what you find out in that assessment and go find out in the book how to apply that exactly. I literally break it down to describing which words people should use to describe their brand in the marketplace. And this is true whether you're a solopreneur or a Fortune 500 brand. There are certain types of words that that best describe um, a, a brand's point of view. Um, you, a moment ago, you mentioned um, how you were an avant-garde and you described that when you when you took the assessment that you learned the three adjectives that describe you, which are original enterprising and forward thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say you took the assessment and you found that you have primary prestige. Um, then you can, in, in the book, I, I lay out the words that a prestige brand uses to describe itself so that it can become part of your marketing copy. And when somebody gives you that basis, just the the basic building blocks, it's so much easier to take it from there and be creative instead of feeling kind of freaked out. Yeah, or just overwhelmed because I think a lot of people who are just getting started just totally feel overwhelmed. So it's kind of like a deer in the headlights. You just don't know where to start. Well, especially yeah, if you're just starting out or, or even if you're an entrepreneur, you're expected to be so good at so many things. And the reality is many entrepreneurs are good at marketing, but you know they don't have time to sit there and try to figure it out from scratch. They don't have brain space because an entrepreneur has to wear too many hats. And you know the same is true even if you work in marketing, if you're part of a marketing department or you are a marketing consultant yourself, it's helpful for somebody just to, to give you a tool so that you have a clear strategic brief that then you can you can modify and customize, but at least part of the heavy lifting's been done for you. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier, you know, just to get that help in the beginning. And you know, that kind of re- makes me think about, you know, when it comes down to it, the problem really is time. So from the entrepreneur side of it, you don't have enough time to wear all the hats. But then from the user or ideal customer base side of it, you know, as it if I have my customer hat on. You know, I'm getting flooded with information 24-7. You know, TV, computer ads, email ads, um, books I need to be reading, podcasts I should be listening to. It's just so much information overload. And I think the feeling that you don't have enough time to either be, you know, a good marketer and a good, you know, person to help set up your brand, but then also the user's attention span is also dwindling. And so I think it's forcing brands to, um, not really brands, I guess companies as a whole to be more careful with how they position themselves because it's not enough anymore to just put your product on the shelf or on your website and say, here it is. Now you have to buy it. You need to have that special edge. Like we had talked about in the beginning, that's going to make people actually be interested in what you have to say, because otherwise it's just going to get lost in the wash of everything else. Right. Different is better than better. So a key piece of learning is if you're too cautious to provoke conversation online, then you should just stick to traditional media. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, if you're not willing to kind of kick up some dust and get people thinking to provoke new ways of, of thinking about the product and the world and help people think differently about themselves, then um, 
either don't market or, <laughs> or, or market in very conservative ways. Because in the online environment, nowhere is the attention span shorter. So it's, it's, it's a choice. You can either stand out or just don't bother. Stand out or stand out or donate the money to charity. Wow. Yeah, that's true. I never thought of it like that. Um, you know, that kind of makes me think of another question. What is it? Is it ever too late for a company to change how people see their brand? Um, so, for instance, if I if I was in business for ten years and it was ho hum, not really working for me anymore, is that could I completely pivot and completely change the conceptions that people might have had for me about our, my company in the past? <laughs> Here's one of my favorite examples from the book <laughs> that, that highlights this beautifully. There was a soot cleaner around the turn of the century, turn of turn of the nineteenth century. That is, um, the a soot cleaner that helped get the the soot from coal ovens and coal stoves off the walls. Mm-hmm. Well, when so when 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 coal was outdated and electricity started coming into homes, there was no longer a need for a soot cleaner. So they took this soot cleaner and they said, "Well, what else could we do with it?" And they turned it into a product named. Play-Doh. You know that, yes, you know that weird smell that Play-Doh has, that super distinctive smell? Yes. That was was part of the original soot cleaner um, because that was the cleaning agent. And Mm. so if you think of it, we think of Play-Doh as being something that has, uh, it's, it's not only dates back to our childhood, it's a timeless brand, but it really wasn't always timeless. So any brand can, can evolve themselves. Here's another one of my favorite examples. There, um, in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, there's a, a it's a sleepy little surf town, and and um, uh, there are bars and restaurants. But there's one bar that has a really undesirable location. It's located under uh, at the foot of a drawbridge. So imagine every time a sailboat comes through the river, ding ding ding, the the drawbridge goes up, ding ding ding, the drawbridge goes down, and people uh, customers of this surf bar were getting annoyed. So uh, um, their their business started dwindling. So they took this disadvantage of the drawbridge and they turned it into an advantage by having this um, bridge up beer prices down special so that when ding, 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 whenever the, whenever the drawbridge goes up, beer is only 25 cents and people flood to the bar. So now this disadvantage has been turned into a huge advantage by making it fascinating and turning, um, turning it into an unexpected benefit. And that's a, that's a great lesson that all of us can look at as small businesses. In order to become fascinating, you don't have to do something elaborate. You can do something very simple as long as it helps you stand out. Yeah, that's so interesting because I think a lot of, I think overall people as business owners especially need to be more positive because it's so easy when you're a business owner to take something that is causing your customer base to go down like an annoying bell and just think, oh, this is how life is. But, you know, thinking a little bit outside the box and how you can shift your thinking and turn it into a positive is probably really the turning point into making you know, a company or a restaurant or whatever. So unique. Yeah. And and there's a, there's a system to it. So if you, I used to always think the process of creativity was, was, um, kind of like, um, like good luck, you know, Uh, some days I'd sit down and I would be enormously creative and other days not. And I, and what I didn't get was at the time, what I was, what I was doing is I was working inside and around all these amazing brands was I was starting to create my own methodology, a way that I knew that I'd be able to come up with great ideas 
uh, on a very short timeline. And this is something for all of us when we, in order for us to do something reliably every single time, it can't just be luck. It can't just be, um, I'm hope, I hope I'm going to write something good when I sit down. Mm-hmm. And when you have a methodology, it turns into more like an algorithm. You know, you know that if you follow these steps, you're going to get a certain outcome. And then from there, you, if you want to, if you want to hypercharge it with creativity, great. But that's the, that was part of my, w- something I felt very strongly about personally in writing this book was to make it possible for everybody to have great ideas, whether they have a big budget or whether they're not creative, that it's kind of a a marketing hack for non-marketers. Yeah, I like that because I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends, they feel like they're not creative at all. So they might have a good idea, but they don't even try because they think it takes creativity to actually make it happen. So I, I appreciate that you're giving all of those people out there hope because I feel like I'm super creative. So, you know, my friend that is really analytical, um, she doesn't understand how I come up with all these ideas, but it, it, it's good that you don't have to be creative to have a really good brand that stands out. Right. Just like you don't have to necessarily have an ad agency or, or a marketing department. If you know, do you ever get freaked out when you have to write your LinkedIn profile or your Twitter bio? You know, when somebody says, go, go write something on command, it, it's very easy to get, um, get freaked out by it, yeah. to, get, to get intimidated and to try to just kind of go in circles around and around. Well, that's why when I, when I wrote this book, I gave people the actual words. Here are the five adjectives that you should use. Here's the template for coming up with better ideas so that um, – so, so that in about an hour, they could at least have a strong starting point for their brand. So, you know, that, that brings me to a good question that might be, you know, a natural next step is after a brand has read your book, you know, well, they've taken the online assessment and they read your book. Um, where do they go from there? I mean, is it, is it, is fast, you know, the idea of fascination, is that a continuous process um, in terms of improving it or, elaborating on it as the years go on. Right. Yeah. You don't have to reinvent yourself year after year, but there's so many different points of contact from a marketing perspective that, that any company or business has. There's the emails that you send out to, to your list, to your followers. There's your social media strategy, your advertising strategy, paid media, unpaid media. And of course there's the whole world of online content. And so once you know what your North Star is strategically, it starts to become a lot easier for you to align all these efforts so that you're not scrambling to try to figure out what you should do next. Because that's really what holds back a lot of teams is that there isn't clear alignment on what the message strategy should be. And when, and when that happens, it turns into conflict and infighting and confusion and people just get paralyzed. Yeah, it's it, and it's hard, especially the bigger a company is, to ignite the change. And so I, I know that, you know, people I've talked to at conferences or that I know from the industry, they often struggle with trying to figure out, you know, how to get started, how to get that approval. And so that might be a good question that I can pose to you, Sally, as we're wrapping up is, you know, what if what if I am in, you know, maybe I'm a small business, I work for a company that has 20 employees, and I read your book, I take the assessment, I'm ready to get going. How do you, you know, if, if I believe in the process, how do I then, you know, present the idea and kind of ignite the change to 
to everyone else in the company so they're involved and as excited about it as I am? Well, that's a wonderful question. Of course, I love that one. <laughs> and that is, that's part four of the book. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, so here's how great communication happens. When people feel so confident that they can start to take risks or they can, they, they can own a certain voice in the marketplace, or they can know with complete certainty that there's a specific aspect of their brand, like, like the ding, ding, ding drawbridge, mm-hmm. or like the, the, the clay playfulness of, of the soot cleaner we now know as Play-Doh. Um, so uh, I recommend that you do an offsite or a lunch and learn. Have everybody do the brandfascination.com assessment so that you can start to see, do people have a different concept of what the brand stands for? Does everybody get the same result or do you have different results? Because if people have different results, then it can point to some confusion or um, divided strategy among the team. And then sit down with the book and start to go through the exercises, the the it's almost like a fill in the blank exercise of what, what, what your positioning should be and some examples of how other brands have used that type of positioning so that you can identify those assets that are within your brand that when you can find them, it's almost like, you know, the old, that, that, the little kid going up into the grandma's attic and finds this priceless piece of art. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of us have those in our brands. We have these amazing gems that are already part of our heritage or our company or our, our mythology of how we started or within the, um, w- within the existing employees. And once you find that, then you can bring it into the sunlight and you can start using that as a way to not just earn attention, but to truly fascinate, to make your brand impossible to resist. Yeah, I love that. That's a great, that's a great little nugget to end on. You know, go up to your company's, you know, basement, quote unquote, and figure right. out what you can unearth that makes you different from everyone else. Yeah, sometimes it's a it's it's a it's a it's a funny fact, or it's a uh, an award that you've won, or it's something about your product that you think of as a downside that could actually become an upside, like the drawbridge. Yes, awesome. Well, Sally, thanks so much for joining us. I learned a lot. I took some notes, um, and I look forward to finishing finishing the book. Oh, awesome, Kelsey. Thank you. I'm 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 glad you're enjoying it. It's it's wonderful to be able to talk to you today. Appreciate it. And we'll be sure to link to the book and brandfascination.com in the recap. And so hopefully everyone um, can take away from the podcast and the book. So thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.